Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast in which we'll be looking ahead to the stories and events that will make the headlines and could even move markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. We'll be talking about the state of the UK economy, interest rate decisions from the Bank of England and the European Central Bank, as well as those all-important jobs numbers in the United States. And on the corporate front, Halfords gives us full-year numbers, Dixon's will give a trading update, and Ryanair, well, it's still in the news. I'm joined by Patrick Hosking, The Times financial editor, Andrew Clark, our deputy business editor, and Alistair Osborne, chief business commentator of The Times. Welcome to you all. And Patrick, if I can start with you, we've got these PMI numbers coming out. There's been no revision, we know now, to the UK's first quarter growth numbers, and that clearly was a disappointment. So are the PMI numbers going to cheer us up, and are they important? To your first question uh, first, uh, to your second question first, yes, they are quite important because they are forward-looking. They're actually talking to business leaders about how they feel right now, whereas GDP numbers tend to be very backward-looking. So in that sense, they are important. I think it's going to be a pretty mixed bag. I think we're going to be crying on Monday and cheering on Tuesday and uh, somewhere in between on Wednesday. Monday is the manufacturing PMI and we're starting to see more and more more and more companies struggling against the headwinds of the uh, weaker euro. Which, if they're exporting to Europe or competing with European uh, companies, that can be that can be a real struggle for them. And we saw Delarue just last uh, a couple of days ago warning that it was it was struggling there. So I think manufacturing is going to be bad news. Construction will be good news if only if only because the Office for National Statistics seems to be under-measuring, if you like, construction output and has for a long time. And the, the, the news from the building sites is invariably uh, stronger than the news from the ONS. And then services uh, somewhere in between, probably. We've got some slightly worrying signals from the CBI survey uh, suggesting that while sort of business and professional services is still going gangbusters, consumer-facing services businesses, that's restaurants, hotels, hairdressers, all those sorts of businesses are seeing a bit of a downturn. There's, a, there's an interesting question about whether... The, 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 the theory is that, that because uh, petrol prices, fuel prices are falling, they should have more spending power. But I wonder whether that's actually going to play out or whether they're going to, rather than spend that money, save it, which is what we've seen in America. Save it? That would be a bit of a turn-up for the books, wouldn't it? I don't think British consumers saved anything. I thought we spent everything. Well, it would be in the very long term. Yes, of course, we want we want to be we want to re- complete rebalancing and to be to be saving more and consuming less and exporting more. And that's the 
rebalancing that uh, George Osborne wants and the March of the Makers, etc., etc. Which hasn't happened. Which hasn't happened. Yeah. And in the short term, would be quite difficult because uh, because uh, consumer consumers are the one thing keeping this economy going at the moment. Alistair alluded to it there. We're actually all massively overborrowed as consumers. Yes, I mean personal debt levels are, are, are still still very high, but coming down a bit. So, in other words, we've learnt nothing from the financial crisis. We're falling straight back into the same trap. Well, that's the danger. I mean, that, that's why there is this huge emphasis we've we've heard from ministers in the last few weeks about trying to get productivity up to increase our international competitiveness and bring on exports. But there's there's precious little sign of it at the moment. And those uh, GDP numbers the other day were, were were showing quite how much we're failing in that regard. Though, I mean, the consumers are only being logical in a way, aren't they? Because interest rates are rock bottom. So why not, you know, sort of max up and sort of build up a nice bit of debt now it's not like it's very expensive well I, yeah it still has to be paid back and if mm, if wages are still only growing very slowly it's uh, if at all um that's uh, slightly dangerous policy and in fairness it's not that easy to borrow i mean the interest rates are very low but if you you, you know you, you if you're a first-time buyer trying to get a mortgage or um or if you're trying to get a personal loan for something the checks that are carried out by the banks are far far more strict than they ever were prior to 2008. Well, it brings us to the point about interest rates, doesn't it? The Bank of England will be making a decision, and so will the European Central Bank. I mean, Patrick, looking first of all at, at the Bank of England, no change, but it will happen one day, won't it? It will happen one day, but uh, I think uh, the, the, the message of the last five years, it's still, it keeps receding further and further into the future. And uh, I think the earliest anyone is seriously talking about uh, an interest rate rise is uh, early next year. And even then, it will probably be very modest and followed by quite a long pause before the next interest rate rise. What do you think, Alistair? I think it's a great job being an MPC external member. £130,000 a year, and you haven't had to actually do anything for five years. And your meetings are coming down, aren't they? They're coming down from 12 meetings a year to eight. I mean, it's an absolutely perfect job. I mean... Honestly, I'd sign up for it myself if someone actually offers me the job. I'll, you know, I'll be able to moonlight that. It's, you don't have to do anything. What, what have what, they actually done? What, one thing, leading indicator that, that is worth um, considering is that the, the cost of a fixed-rate mortgage has just begun in the last month or so to drift upwards, which is an indication that um, the banks are beginning to think that uh, an interest rate, car, uh, rate rise is, is moving slightly nearer. But I mean, we've, looking at looking at interest rate rises and the indicators, you say that's one indication. If we look over for the moment to the United States, Patrick, we've got those job numbers coming up, and in a way, it's not about job numbers, isn't it? What the market's looking for is when is the U.S. Federal Reserve first going to make the move, and if so, then the Bank of England would probably follow. What's your best guess? I think it's going to be a bit later than than perhaps people think. Uh, I, I I think the market is looking at the third quarter, September something, September this year, but again. Every t- every time uh, there's any suggest- serious suggestion of the Fed tightening, then we have these market wobbles and, and it goes away again. So I suspect it might be a bit later. But the jobs numbers are, are really important this time because we want to see some evidence that the, the wobble in the first quarter in the States was indeed just a, wo- a temporary wobble and not something uh, more more sustained. And the recent recent data from the states has, hasn't really been terribly good. I mean, we've had falling uh, retail sales growth, disappointing industrial production numbers. So, so I think um, uh, markets will be looking for some some 
evidence that, that the the US economy is starting to motor again. That's something certainly to be keeping an eye on. And uh, just briefly, I mean, a thought from, from you about Greece. It's still hanging over, isn't it, the markets? I mean, is there likely to be any resolution in the short term or is it more can-kicking? Patrick, you first. I would guess more can-kicking as... Um, We've seen so much brinkmanship here, and I think it's got further to go, if only because no Eurozone nation or politician wants to be seen to be actually pulling the trigger on Greece. Andrew? There's going to have to be an interim agreement of some sort, because the Greek government simply doesn't have the money to pay back what it's supposed to be paying back to the IMF in the next month or so. So unless it reaches an agreement with the European Commission to draw down some bailout funds, um, we do reach a bit of a D-Day. Yeah, but not till the end of the month, at least, I would have thought. I mean, the end of June, I'm thinking that. Can't they wrap up the IMF loans and say, well, we've agreed to pay them back, but we'll rather than do them in these stage payments, we'll bung them all on the end of the month? I mean, I can't really see... I can't see anyone sort of pulling the plug on Greece if they try a trick like that. So my thinking is, as as Patrick said, a bit more can-kicking, at least another few weeks of this minimum, I would have thought. So we'll buy a little time anyway. And moving on to the corporate watch now. And Andrew, let's start with the full-year results. So a couple of retailers here. We've got, I mean, Halfords, first of all. What do we expect? Um, Halfords has been doing reasonably well lately. It's trying to shift itself from being a um, an auto parts retailer into more of a bike retailer. And cycling has never been more popular in the UK. They've got a new chief executive coming in, Jill McDonald, who they've uh, recruited from McDonald's. And she's replacing Matt Davis, who's a guy who's done quite a good job over the last few years. Um, he uh, He took the helm at Halfords when they'd had a very tough recession and uh, he steered them back to a degree of stability. He's going off to become the UK boss of um, Tesco. Um, so really it's a, it's a story of moving from sat-nav devices and hubcaps to uh, lycra clothing and uh, bicycles. Yes, I can't say I'm that at home with bicycling. Mm. If, you, if you didn't have Halfords, would you have to invent it? Well, you know, I mean, it is... Uh, Britain's biggest auto parts uh, company. You know, I think they do have a a place on the high street. One of the difficulties that they face in trying to attract more cyclists is that their stores are in the wrong places. So their stores tend to be on out-of-town retail parks, which are good to get to by car, but are not places where you particularly want to go cycling. So they do have a few challenges in making this uh, transition that they want to make. The only time I ever tried to buy a bike from Halfords, I couldn't actually take it away from the store. They wouldn't let me there, so they have to service it and come back tomorrow. So I've never bought a bike from Halfords. Have you been at all, Alistair? I have been into Halfords before. I have actually bought a bike from Halfords. It's standing outside rusting away at the moment. But I've, I've got a better bike, which didn't come from Halfords, and I think it was a slightly superior model, to be honest. They're but very good at changing headlight bulbs. Do you know, so I, I recommend exactly the same yeah. thing. You go in and you buy a 75p, and they all need special screwdrivers now, depending on the make of car, and they will do it Hopefully. so cheaply. It's a brilliant service, but I wonder if they make any money on it. Except that you get a lot of spare light bulbs because they always sell them inconveniently in packs of two. Packs so I've got lots of spare <laughs> light bulbs. If anyone wants to contact me, they can have some. I mean, looking at Dixon's just for a moment, I mean, I know it's only a trading update, but it rather begs the same question. There's so many places where you can buy the sort of kit that Dixon's sells on there. Not really anymore. Uh, most of most of the rivals to Dixon's car phone have, uh, have gone bust over recent years. You know, Comet's gone under, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Dixon's and Carphone Warehouse merged uh, a year ago. 
uh, and people mocked and said, "Oh, it's two drunks propping each other up. That you know they're never going to survive. They're facing fierce competition from Amazon and from uh, online retailers." But in fact, it's been a bit of a surprise package. The shares have risen by 50% since that deal was done. And Sebastian James, who's the old Etonian chief executive, is looking even more pleased with himself than he ever has been. Is that possible, I ask myself? So, in a way, looking at it, as you say, a lot of them have gone bust, but other competition outlets, I mean, particularly online, why don't people just go and buy that? I mean, have they done any good there? Um, well, they, 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 they do, obviously, trade online. I think, you know... There are certain things that people are very happy to buy online and there are certain types of people who are very happy to make big ticket purchases online. But for a lot of people, buying a television set is a really large outlay and you might want to go and have a look around a store and look at what the options are and chat to a, a salesperson before you... But don't you go and look at it in Dixon's or wherever, Currers or whatever, and then um, just buy it online? Well, that's true. That, that, you know, that, that is an issue. So they have to be really, really competitive online as well. And the other thing is emerging as a very astute consumer here. Hmm. <laughs> I also don't understand this whole Internet of Things thing. I really don't get what this is all about, where your fridge is supposed to talk to your television while you're out and all that. Apparently that's part of the logic of having all these different things in, in a Dixon's car phone, where the phone communicates with the burger alarm and then communicates with the PlayStation. Well, I mean, I, I simply don't get... I don't get what that brings, to be honest. Well, you know, for example, lots of people have these music systems now where you can use your phone to control speakers in various rooms, have different music playing if you want to. Um, there's there's a degree of logic in uh, in having things like smart kitchen devices so that if you're on your way home and you want to turn on the oven and warm it up, then you can do that remotely rather than wait until you get home. There are things like burglar alarms that you want to access remotely these days. Uh, you might even want to look at your electricity meter without having to go in the cupboard under the stairs. So there's a degree of logic in so these no, things. I, don't know I, nearly, I, I nearly succumbed to a, a one, exactly this, this ploy. I bought a Hewlett-Packard printer the other day so and it asked me whether... Up? <laughs> corporate branding <yeah. laughs> and it asked me whether I wanted to sign up to its its ink delivery system whereby it would communicate with head office and send me fresh ink whenever it felt it, I was well, about every to run day out. Probably yeah, so I, I, I declined in the surprise. end but it was, I thought that's not a bad idea uh, Alistair if I could just ask you briefly I mean Ryanair was uh, we talked about it in the last programme I mean it's it's still in the headlines just bring us up to date if you were where we are what with Ryanair or mm. with the whole with Aer Lingus Ryanair. situation well, and the Aer Lingus situation oh, I, Ryanair has just put out some cracking numbers it's a sort of Mr O'Leary suddenly sort of finding after 19 years that being nice to people actually works I mean, frankly, I preferred him when he was a lot ruder. He was much more entertaining as a boss. But nowadays, he's the charm offensive seems to be working quite well. They had some extremely good first um, full-year results. Basically, it was extra passengers who kind of like the idea they're now flying to more primary airports because they're sort of vaguely on the same time zone as the airports that you used to think you were flying to when um, Ryanair would say you're going to fly to somewhere in Germany and you'll probably end up closer to France or wherever. Anyway, so the, the primary airports thing seems to be working and the other thing is load factors. They put up the load factors and, um, you know, how full the planes are and that 88% full. And it comes a point with a, an airline business because it's so operationally geared that every extra kind of bum on the seat is pure profit. So they, they, made, they made a fair old bit of money. Where are we with the stake that it has... In Aer Lingus oh, now. the steak. Now, this is quite interesting because 
after I think he I think Ryanair made its first bid for um, Aer Lingus back in 2006. Since when it's built a near 30% stake, which the competition regulators have been badgering it for about six years to get rid of, or at least sell down. And Michael O'Leary keeps taking legal action to kind of postpone the evil day. Odd thing is, the logic of the um, regulators was that no one would bid for Aer Lingus all the time Ryanair was kind of on the shareholder register. Well, that's been proved completely wrong because IAG has bid for it. And now the interesting situation is that Michael O'Leary is now sitting there as kingmaker, the one person that could actually block the deal if he wanted to. He won't. He'd be crazy to block it. All right, well, we can follow that and all the results we've been talking about and the latest breaking stories as they happen on our Business Now live blog. That's on the business page of our website. And don't forget, Time subscribers can also sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails so you can keep up to date with the news wherever you are. And if you don't have a subscription, there's a special £1 offer. You just go to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Patrick Hosking, Andrew Clark and Alistair Osborne. You can follow them all on Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.